give you just a little bit of background for that. Um, the church board and the staff have kind of been collaborating and working together to talk about who we are and what we really value as a church. And so this series is walking through what we value as a church. And so today we're going to kick that off um, by talking about the fact that the whole family matters. One of the things I love about this church, one of the things I think distinguishes this church um, from a lot of other churches is that we believe that the whole family matters, that every generation, that every age group matters, and we minister to the whole family. It's our conviction that God's design for the church is not that, that we surround ourselves with people just like us and worship together. It's our conviction that God's design for the church is that we would be a family and that we would minister and share and worship um, with every generation. And so today we're talking about the whole family matters. And, and since we're talking about the whole family and since it's Mother's Day, I thought it would be appropriate to have my mother with us. And so my mother is with us today. Uh, this is one of my heroes. By the way, um, what could go wrong, right? I mean, the kickoff of virtual campus, we got a super emotional pastor on Mother's Day with his super emotional mother. What could possibly go wrong here? Maybe I forget to bring the tissues up on the way. That could go wrong. Um, actually, the young adults were, were uh, taking bets on, on how long I could make it before I started crying. And, uh, and I, I was closed a second ago, but I'm here. So, so this is one of my heroes. And, and I'm excited for you to be able to hear, not just from, from me today, but to hear from her. Because I believe that every generation matters. And I believe that my mother, who hasn't had the chance to preach a lot, has some great wisdom for us to learn from today. And so I just want to say, I love you, Mom. I love you, hon. Thank how, you. How far are you? <laughs> Good. So, so what does it mean that we say the whole family matters? What does that mean? It means that we believe that in order to be the church that we were created to be, we have to honor God by loving each other, by worshiping together, and by being the body of Christ, the family. God's design for our church, God's design is that his church would be one. We've talked about that before, that the church would be one. In John 17, when Jesus prays, he says that they would be one just as the Father and he were one. And I believe that has to do with the family. I believe that has to do with all of us. I don't think that means that we should be one with the people that are our age and have the same preferences and have the same, you know, life situations. I believe that that means, and we believe that that means that we are called to be one with all generations, with all races, with all groups of people, all styles, all preferences, that we are called together to be one and to be the church. God's design is that the church would be one. That means every age group. And so we understand right away that we are called to be one. And so today we're going to look into some scripture. Um, we're, going to, we're going to talk to all the generations. We're going to learn from scripture today. Um, but before we get in, into that, I just want to say that our goal as a church, as we come together to worship, is to be one, to be unified, to be 
loving each other and worshiping together just as Jesus was with the Father. And so, so before we, we get into that, I just have a simple concept that I think is so important for us to understand today. And this, this goes beyond the intergenerational idea. This goes into everything. But this concept is so important to us as the church. If we are going to be the people of God, if we are going to reflect Christ we have to get this concept right. Um, we had a prayer, uh, on the National Day of Prayer, we had a prayer event. And we had the opportunity to have Pastor Lester Jones from Countryside with us. And he said something in that prayer event that I thought was awesome. He's, this was his, he said, discernment is given not for judgment, but for intercession. He was talking about our, when God gives us discernment, when God gives us wisdom, when God gives us the ability to, to know things, it's not given to us so that we can judge each other or be better than each other. It's given to us so that we can intercede for each other, we can pray for each other. And I thought that was a great concept, but I'll be honest with you, I think that concept just is barely scratching the surface of what this is all about. And so the concept I want to get to us today, I want to take that, that discernment and I want to blow the walls out of it and I want to say this to you. Everything that God has given you should be used to bring glory back to God. Everything that God has given you should be used to bring glory back to God. Now, a lot of times when we say things like that, we, we're talking about our talents, like I, I can sing or I can speak or I can send cards, and, and so I've got to give that back to God. But our discernment, our wisdom, the things that we learn, that's not so that we can differentiate ourselves from each other, that's so that we can glorify God by using those things. This is a big one. Our history, our tradition, our experiences... Sometimes I think in the church we, we mess this up and we think, oh man, the glory days or the way that, that we used to do things, man, that was the way it should have been and, and we start to think that that was how it all should be done. But man, that tradition, that history, that experience was not given to you so you could look back and say, man, that was great. It's given to you so that you can glorify God by worshiping God and putting it to use by bringing us together to be one. So everything God has given you should be used to bring glory back to God. And the way that we do that is by using it to serve God and to love and serve each other and to build each other up. And so I just want to start by saying this. Check everything you have Everything you have, your, your experience, your, all those years of coming to church or the way you like to do things or the way that you think we should sing or the way that you think we should speak or all of those things. Take all of that. Think about all of the stuff that God has given you, your talents, your personality. Think about all of that. And I want you to think today that all of that is given to you so that you can offer it to God and bring glory to God. And so as we talk about being a church where the whole family matters, that is so important. It's so important that we understand that this is not about us. This is about glorifying God by being one together, by worshiping together. Everything God has given you should be used to bring glory 
back to God. Well, today um, we're going to be looking into 1 Timothy 4 and a little bit into chapter 5. Um, the letter of 1 Timothy is, is a letter sent from Paul, the great missionary Paul, to his protege, um, Timothy, who was leading the church at Ephesus. Paul's purpose in this was to help Timothy lead the church in the midst of some difficult times, some confusing times. There was a lot going on. And so Paul wrote this to lift Timothy up and to help him out. And so let's look into 1 Timothy chapter 4 together right now. We're going to start in verse 12. It says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the, the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your, hero, or your hearers. So this is a text that is typically used to teach young people. If you grew up in the church, if you went on retreats, if you were in, if you were in Sunday school classes, you've probably heard this taught to you before. But today, this is a great text. And so today I want to start by talking to the young people. I want you to look at this and I want you to take this to heart. And so the first thing we see here is that Paul, Paul's charge to Timothy is, is this. Do not let anyone look down on you because you're young. Now, that's kind of an empowering thing for young people, right? Teens, young people, that's empowering. Don't let anyone look down on you. You're good. You're a part of the church. You're, you're today's church, right? Don't let anyone look down on you. Clearly, Timothy was kind of in a diff difficult position. He was put into to leadership at the church in Ephesus, but Timothy was young. And what you see a lot of times, it's no different today, a lot of times when young people are put into positions of leadership, it, it might be difficult for other people to look at them as leaders. And, and so the fact that Paul is giving this encouragement shows that, that there's definitely a situation where people could look down on Timothy because of his age and disregard his leadership. And, and so the way that Paul chooses to deal with this is not to write a letter to the people of Ephesus and say, you guys need to treat him better. The way that Paul chooses to deal with this is by writing a letter to Timothy, to the young people. And so this is huge. I think that's important. Paul's, Paul's solution to Timothy's youth and inexperience is not to tell other people, but to say to Timothy, don't let people look down on you. Paul is encouraging Timothy. Let me ask you a question. Do we look down on young people? Do you think in our society, do you think in our church, we look down on young people sometimes? I'll tell you, the, the things that come to my mind are, are Tide Pods, <laughs> right? You guys know about this Tide Pod thing, right? There's, there's been a lot of jokes made on social media. I guess some young people think it's, it's cool to eat Tide Pods. And so there are all these jokes. That's not good for you, young people. Don't do that. <laughs> And if you've been on social media, you've probably seen some jokes about young people and the silly things they do. And maybe you remember this, the, the Parkland school shooting in Florida. 
There were students that, that protested that and walked out. And listen, regardless of your political beliefs, what I saw after that was a lot of people that looked down on those young people and said, those are just little kids. They don't know what they're doing. They don't, they're, they're young. They're looking down on them. Listen, I believe that we do have a tendency to look down on young people at times. And so Paul is writing and saying, Timothy, don't let people look down on you because you're young. And so young people, that's not an excuse to say, na 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 boo boo you can't look down on me. I'm young, but you can't look down on me because the Bible says it, right? That's not what this is saying. Because you can't separate the first line, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, from the second line that says, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. You know what this is saying? It's saying, young people, don't eat Tide Pods. <laughs> don't, don't give people a reason to look down on you. If you are here this morning and you think you're young, I want you to take this to heart. Do not let people look down on you because of your youth, but not just because the Bible says so, because you are going to set the example for everyone else. What Paul is saying is, Timothy, don't let them look down on you because your example, your actions are going to set the tone, and they're not going to have a reason to look down on you. Young people, set the example for the believers in speech, and conduct, and love, and faith, and in purity. I believe, I believe that what Paul is saying to Timothy is this. Yeah, you're young, but you are called to lead. You are called to be an example where you are. And so if you are in here this morning, I want you to understand, if you consider yourself young, I want you to understand this morning, you are called to be a leader in God's church, in this church, God is calling you to lead the way for others. How do you lead the way? With your speech, with what you say. Honor God with what you say, with your conduct. Behave, do the right things with what you do. Listen, last weekend was a great example of this text because last weekend we heard a musical, we heard God's word from who? From our children, from our young people. And you saw that, but, but the day before on Saturday, our teens gathered from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., and they had a car wash, and that car wash was to raise money for the victims of, of the car crash in Monroe that happened. And, and so our, our young people were leading the way last week. They were setting the example with their conduct. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set the example, lead the way in love, lead the way in loving others, lead the way in faith and trusting God and lead the way in purity and keeping yourself pure, keeping yourself Christ-like in everything you do. In verse 13 it says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. You know what this is saying? It's saying, young people, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Set the example. And then this part says, devote yourself to the things that are important, to the things that are right. And so, young people, 
There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff you can devote yourself to. You can devote yourself to video games. I, I certainly have spent a lot of time in my life devoting myself to video games. You can devote yourself to friends. You can devote yourself to hobbies. And those are all okay things. But what this is saying is set the example by devoting yourself to what really matters. Reading scripture, teaching, preaching, knowing God. Take the time to pour into yourself so that you can set the example. Verse 14 says, do not neglect your gift. The truth of the matter is, in church, you, if you haven't seen this, then you need to spend some time with our young people. Our young people are really gifted. We saw that on display last week. I'll tell you what, my boy Eli just is, is, a, is a great young man with a great mind, and he has a passion to serve. And what this scripture is saying is, Eli, don't neglect the gifts that God has given you, but build on them. Build them up and use them. Young people, you are gifted. And those gifts are, shouldn't be neglected. Those gifts should be used to lead the way. Verse 15 and 16 say, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. And this is the part I really love. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Listen to me very carefully. God has called all of us to lead the way in Christ-likeness. But that means God has called our young people to set the example, to lead the way, to be Christ-like. And what Paul says here to Timothy is, if you will be faithful to watch your doctrine, to watch yourself, to devote yourself to what's important, to not neglect your gifts. If you will be faithful to lead the way, God will use you in incredible ways. I believe that. I believe God wants to use our young people to teach us, to lead us. And so young people, lead us. I am challenging you to step up and lead the way. You are critical to this church. In fact, for the church to be what God intends it to be, our young people have to step up and lead the way and set the example. Young people, you are key. Young people, God has called you to set the example, and because of this, we need to hold you to a higher standard. As, you see the, as we see the fruit of your lives lived out in community and hear testimony of God working through your lives, we promise to give you responsibility in the body of Christ. We trust God to work through you. We trust God to teach you his truths, to conform your hearts to live out kingdom principles, and to share the love of Christ with those around you. Set the example, accept responsibility, and help us grow his kingdom. God's not giving up on his church. He desires to work through every generation, and that includes you. As we read Paul's letter to Timothy, though, we realize that Timothy's age during this time isn't exactly known. He's been given great responsibility in ministering in Ephesus during Paul's imprisonment. Ephesus was a booming city. It had so much to offer. 
Yet there was a lot of confusion and many false doctrines were circulating. The goddess Artemis was worshipped, a goddess that they thought brought prosperity to this bustling trade city. The library was well esteemed, but it was full of teachings contrary to the teachings of Christ. Ministry in Ephesus brought great challenges for young Timothy. But do you know what? Ephesus reminds me a lot today of some challenges that our young Timothys face. It seems like things change so fast, and there's so much going on around us. There are many different things vying for attention, and a lot of different beliefs and ideas are out there. Because of the internet and social media, it's all around you, all around our young people especially, all the time. Things seem more complicated than they were in the past. And the young people, I know that you're right in the middle of it, just like Timothy was. And some of you might be saying, well, just how old was Timothy? Well, we really don't know for sure. Some commentators say he was 22 or 23, and here he's leading the ministry in the church in Ephesus, which was a large, large city. Um, at least a half a million, some people say even up to maybe two million. Um, basically, this is saying that, um, others say that, that, you know, he might have been 22 or 23, but then there are other commentators that say, no, he was about 35 to 40. So the news for you in this room is that if you're 40 or under, you're young. I hope you all know that. <laughs> I, I think you are, but, but according to Paul's letter, you might even also it's, be. It's relative, um, isn't it? I mean, it, you know, it, youth it is, is relative. relative, right? <laughs> As Timothy was leading and overseeing the church in Ephesus, um, you are leading and overseeing the spiritual growth of your families. If you're 40 or under, many of you are in those years of raising families. We want to be a church that encourages you in this busy time in your lives. We want to provide resources and teaching that helps you be the very best parents that you can be. In this day of accessible information, as we've talked about, via social media overload and internet, and there's a tolerance of this mindset that kind of anything goes in our culture, you have a great, great responsibility, but a great, great opportunity to keep your children away from these false doctrines as much as you can. Paul's letter to Timothy um, uh, begins with a warning about this, and we're going to read that in just a minute, but I wanted to tell you a little story. Uh, it was really fun to be and very honoring to be asked to share today with Alex on this uh, platform. And I wanted to say, oh, good, I can tell a whole lot of stories about you, Alex, but if we're going to give a message, we don't have a lot of time for that. I want to tell a quick story, though. When we moved to Arlington, Texas, um, Alex was seven and Robert Scott was 10. And about two, three years after we had lived, we lived there seven years total, but about two or three years after um, being there, there was a realtor in the area that asked if the boys would be interested in farming for her. Now farming, it, it didn't mean they went out and planted crops, but what, for a realtor, that meant going door to door and passing out flyers. And she was gonna pay the boys $5 each. So I decided, you know, this would be a good thing, and Bob and I talked about it. I would park on the street and watch them both go down both sides of the street, and then, um, you know, we would go to the next street, and they did this, and they earned $5 an hour. And just, 
I would have never even thought that that would turn into a spiritual thing for our family. Um, and yet it was in that it taught the boys responsibility of, of earning their way, so to speak. When Alex was in high school then, he had an opportunity to go to Kenya, Africa. And he used that money that all of those years he had been walking, so to speak. So we kind of joke in our family and we say that Alex walked to Africa <laughs> because he used that. But parents, when you think about some of the things, even that may not be what you say, you're saying is scripture to your children, but application comes through all of the teaching and then you see how God has worked out in their lives so many blessings because of your diligence and and you're uh, taking the, the time to invest in your children and teaching them all kinds of things, even when it means responsibility in the area of uh, finances, so. I think one of the cool things about that story is that we couldn't have done that if it, if it wasn't for our parents taking the initiative and, and expecting something of us. And so, so yes, we went out and worked and, and, and put ourselves to work so that we could do good things, but but we couldn't have ever gotten there if it wasn't for mom driving us there, parking, empowering us to do that. And so, so I think that's a huge lesson for us here today as parents and, and even for the older generations is we do need to expect great things from our young people, but we also need to empower our young people. And, and I think that image of mom driving us there and parking on the street and, and watching us walk down and then moving the car, that's, that's what we're called to do for our young people, is we are called to, to get them there, to be a vehicle to help them become leaders in the church, to help them use their gifts. And so I'm thankful for parents that expected good things of us, but also parents that empowered us to do good things. And so we need to help our young people lead the way. There's, um, uh, there are some verses in the beginning of the letter to Timothy that I wanted to read from chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Those promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and they've turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. While, while this text is Paul writing to Timothy, this applies to us today in the same way. Timothy was ordained to lead the church in Ephesus. You've been ordained to lead your families to lead in different ministries in the church and to grow his kingdom as you work in your, mark, your workplace or you're moving about the marketplace of life. You have great responsibility and we affirm you in this. Young people 40 and under or even around that age, set the example, accept responsibility, help us grow his kingdom by ministering to your families and help grow his kingdom here at WCN. According to Paul, that may be many in this room that are 40 and under. In this complicated world, you have a great responsibility to know and to live out God's truth. So we move on into chapter 5, and at the beginning of chapter 5, Paul has these really simple instructions that I think are huge for us to understand as a church. And so the beginning of chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 say this. 
Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And so this is a really simple thing. That's a, that's a text that most of us, if we were reading Scripture, we would probably pass you know, right over it like, yeah, okay. But this is important because what Paul's saying here is that we as the church are called to be family. And we are called to look at each other as family. There's something important right there. There's something huge. There's a concept there that's, that's really it changes the way we relate to each other. When you think about the fact that the people around you, I mean, think about the, the way that the family dynamic is supposed to work. And Alex, I'm going to jump in here with one more quick story. Um, I, one of the things that I've been so appreciative of and that I've learned is that, to me, being a mother doesn't end when they leave home for college. I'm still a mother, even with my children at the ages that they are, and I'm so thankful for that opportunity. But um, there are things in the family that sometimes you just live with, so to speak. I will never forget, and I think you probably remember this, uh, when we moved here to Westchester, Alex was in college in Nashville, in Trevecca, and Bob and I, um, as a mother, I always was concerned, you know, does he have enough to eat? Is he, you know, is he getting in the cafeteria? Does he need money? And when Alex would come home and visit, he would be ready to leave. And we would say, Alex, do you need a little money? And I remember him saying always. to me, oh, well, he would not take any. He would say, oh, no, if I have money, I have to worry about how to spend it. So we would send him off to college with very little sometimes. So I started getting Kroger gift cards. And one night at um, 1.20 in the morning, the phone rang next to the bed. When you're a pastor and the phone rings in the middle of the night, you think, crisis. And, and so it was. I, I picked up the phone and I said, hello, um, because it's on my side of the bed. And, and here's Alex. And he said, Mom, can you tell me how much was on that Kroger gift card that you gave me? <laughs> in fairness, in fairness. I was in Nashville, which is not the Eastern time zone, so it was only 12.20 where I was, right? So number one, if you're going to give a gift card, tell how much is on it. Number two, it wasn't that late. And number three, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> but as families, you learn and you grow, and as Alex was saying, there's all kinds of just dynamics that come into the families. There's the teaching, there's the... I don't want to say putting up with, if it had been someone else's child, I would have been like, Arr! but this was Alex. And we were like, okay, there was, I don't remember what it was, $25, $50 that we had put on that gift card for him. But just kind of an end of the story there for uh, family. Well, and, and there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, how many times did you guys overlook things that, that how many times did you overlook <laughs> things that I did that, that weren't very smart? There, if... What Paul is saying here is we have to look at each other as family. And I think sometimes in the church, we don't know each other very well. We don't take the time to know each other. We're supposed to be a family. And man, you know, I think this happens all the time. When we don't know each other and, and somebody does something that, that is at odds with you, you have the tendency maybe to just write them off and to say, oh, that's just so-and-so. What Paul is saying is we need to, we need to be a family. 
And, and the truth, there's truth in that story that when, when we are family, we are much more graceful and we are much more loving and we are much more wanting to help each other. We talked about earlier that everything you have should be given to glorify God and to build each other up. And you know what? 1.20 in the morning, that was pretty silly. <laughs> but, but mom always, one of the things I'm so thankful for were parents that always looked to, for my benefit. And now, as family, we look for each other's benefit. And so Paul is saying, as a church, treat each other as if you're family. The older people, the older generations, look at them the same way you look at your mother and your father. And so there are going to be times where we don't see eye to eye. There are times we don't see eye to eye, right, Mom? There are. There are plenty of times <laughs> that we don't see eye to eye, whether it's radon mitigation or, you know, what I'm not doing right or, you know, something like that. I'm just kidding. There are going to be times when we don't see eye to eye, but, but if we are family, if we will look at each other, if we will love each other, if we will know each other, we'll glorify God by being graceful and loving and building each other up. And so I think the calling here, if we're going to be a church that's for the whole family, if we're going to be a church where we worship together and are one, then we need to be a family. We need to know each other. We need to be graceful with, with each other, and we need to love each other. Listen, older people, there are going to be plenty of times like that, that, that us young people are going to, us young people, see, I consider myself young. There are going to be plenty of times where we, we might not know what we're doing. We, we may mess up. Those are opportunities for you to love and encourage and maybe even correct us. Younger people, man, there are going to be times where the older people aren't, aren't doing the same things that you think they should do. Look at them as your mother, your father, your sister, your brother. We are called to be one, to be a family. Younger generations are to respect and look to the older generations with appreciation and an open mind to hear valuable life lessons and wisdom that has been learned through the years. And I understand that I'm really in that category now. A couple times in the last two weeks, Bob has gone to pay for our food in a restaurant and they've given him the senior discount without asking. <laughs> and he said to me, oh, this must mean that, you know, they don't even have to ask me anymore. So, so I realized that we are in that, that area now. I'll never forget a trip that we made to Destin in October of 2016. Um, because of the cancer in my leg and the fractures that had resulted, I needed a scooter to get from the fourth floor condo down to the pool. And if you know Bob and I, we love to swim. It's kind of a family standing joke that um, when we're on vacation in the summer with the family, at 8 o'clock in the morning, Bob is down at the pool. As soon as they unlock those gates, he's in there in a large condo unit, and he's usually the first one down there. The rest of us kind of leisurely get up, and we have a nice breakfast out on the balcony or maybe a hectic breakfast with the grandkids, depending on how many kids are with us at the time. But we kind of leisurely take our time, and that's what I usually do. I'm a sunscreen fanatic, so make sure I get all my sunscreen on and everything. Bob goes to the pool, and when I get down there, I remind him to put his on. There are so uh, many jokes here. I mean, did, I get did they turn me off? There oh. are so many jokes here that I could be <laughs> making, and I I'll hold back. Go ahead, Mom. <laughs> but anyway, we... Um, I, I had to have this scooter, and so he was already down at the pool, and, and I headed down to the pool one day on my scooter. And as I, 
it headed into the pool area, I heard a little girl about four or five years old who was with her grandma, and she said, Grandma, there's that lady. And I kind of thought, she's talking about me. <laughs> and what does she mean by that? Where's that lady? You know, what is in her little mind that would say, you know, make her say that? And I knew that she just kind of saw me um, in my disability, my current disability at that time on the scooter. And I wanted to stand up and yell, and I wanted to say, you know what, I used to be able to walk like your grandma. I've climbed Diamond Head Volcano before. I, I walked five miles on the beach before when my leg was good. You know, I used to watch grandchildren, sometimes maybe five at a time, while their parents were working. I used to be active, but she didn't see any of that in me. She saw me as I was on my scooter. And I, of course, I didn't yell this out. It, it made me realize, though, that um, sometimes we judge people, and it's really been a lesson for me even, we judge people on the basis of what we see physically. Um, we judge people maybe with disabilities, and we don't see the life that they may have lived before, or we don't understand. We judge, I'm afraid, sometimes our senior adults on this basis too. We see maybe sometimes that they, you know, myself included, don't walk as readily as before. And so I want to challenge our young people um, uh, to not look at age groups in, in that way with physical, but to look at it with what might be a teachable moment. One of the things that I've struggled with these past few years, and I'll just be very open and honest with you, is the term quality of life. I'll never forget in uh, January of 2015 when my cancer, when it was found that it had metastasized to my leg, and I met back with the oncologist again. I had, I had been uh, free from cancer for a couple years, and, and I met back with the oncologist, and he said, well, I, I need to tell you that what you have, the triple negative breast cancer that has metastasized stage four, is not curable. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, yes, it is, through Christ, uh, through God's work, it, I'm not you know, negating that. But he said, what we will do is we will try to, to give you a quality of life for as long as we can. We'll try to treat you and maintain and give you some quality of life. And I have to confess that my physical limitations have been very hard for me. If you know me, I'm a type one person. I hate sitting in Hawks Hall when there's a dinner or something and not being able to be in the kitchen helping. That's just who I am. Um, I don't like struggling to walk, or I don't like losing the use of my right arm or my right hand. Um, I don't like losing hair after strong chemotherapy treatments. It's not easy. Um, but I don't want to say that I don't have quality of life. I can still interact with my grandchildren. I can still type with my left hand. In fact, I still, I still work at my job from home typing. I can still um, try to walk with a walker, and I'm learning to walk without one. Um, I have wonderful devotions. I am so blessed last Sunday when I sat there and I watched the children from our church present Danny and the Shacks. That was a blessing to me. I was blessed when I turned on the TV, and Alex referred to this before, and here I saw our youth group washing cars, you know, to help with someone in the community, um, to help meet a need of someone that had lost a child. So I am very blessed. I can still pray for uh, needs of our family, for emotional and spiritual and physical needs and needs of the, those of you at church and needs around the district. I have many blessings. And I, I 
want to contend that I still have quality of life. It may not be physical, but it's quality of life. Um, as I was looking and preparing for my part of this, I looked through and I thought, boy, what do I say about senior adults? And I'm in that, that age ground. But I found an article on the internet that I thought had some good things to say. And I'm going to, if I apologize, but I'm going to actually read this because I don't want to misrepresent anything that the author said. And I'm only reading excerpts. It's called The Bible and Treating the Elderly with Respect. Um, there seems to be two views of age in today's society. The most prevalent view seems to be that of repulsion. Age is looked upon as an incurable disease. We fight against aging. We do not want to be reminded of what time can do to us. Thus, the aged elderly person is cast from society. They're made to feel useless, a burden to family, and they're often cast off, avoided except on rare occasions of birthdays or maybe Christmas morning. Another view is that age is beautiful, that age demands respect and dignity, that the elderly are giants of the forest, wise, full of experience, worthy of praise and admiration. This is the view the Bible holds on age. Nature teaches us that age demands dignity and honor. The older the redwoods, the more majestic. The older cheeses are, the more we might say that they have more taste. Um, should it not hold true that the older a man, the more he is to be appreciated by others? I'm convinced that young people, and this is the author writing this, are missing one of the greatest opportunities available when they don't get to know the elderly and associate with them. All too soon, these towering pillars of faith and wisdom will pass from our midst, and they'll be lost, and the loss will be tremendous. Let us remember three lessons, again, this is from this author, that might make all the difference in the world in our view of the elderly. Age does not mean that someone is useless. I've been amazed by the failure of the young to use the talents of the elderly. I'm inspired by their fighting spirit. In our efforts to destroy them, we've tried to make them useless. They've fought back saying, I exist. I have something to offer you if you'll accept it. I've been amazed at the elderly people who have accepted challenges of work in the church and they've done fantastic work. Get to know your elderly in your neighborhood or your family. You might be surprised by their wit, their humor, their ability to guide you. Number two, allow them to share life with you. Some of the greatest lessons I learned about life, I learned from my grandfather. He was 86 and full of cancer, yet he taught me some lessons on living. He was full of humor, wisdom, and was a strong man of faith in God. His advice I will never forget. I'm reminded of Timothy as he learned from the Apostle Paul, an old warrior instructing the new recruit. Had Timothy not allowed Paul to share his life with him, the church might have been hurt, even destroyed where Timothy was concerned. Number three, growing old is not a disease or a woe to humanity. It's a privilege allowed by God. It's an opportunity to be useful and productive a little longer in the service of our family and our God. Truly, age is beautiful. I fear that too often we look at senior adults, perhaps, and we put them aside in a discard box. And young people, I encourage you to open your hearts and minds to see all that the seasoned Christians around you have to offer. Perhaps you have something that you'd like them to pray about. Young people, go up to some of the senior adults in our church and just say, you know, I'm going through this struggle. Would you pray for me? 
And I think they'd be very honored. And I know that they would, we, they would do that. I know that you would um, feel that you had some interaction and that it would be good. Give them respect and give understanding to their thoughts and leadership. There's a verse in Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 32, that speaks to this. It says, rise in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God. I am the Lord. And senior adults and those that are elderly among us, myself included, give understanding to our youth. There must be patience and willingness to give up preferences at times, and I understand this. Our church is so privileged to be intergenerational. Therefore, we must be, do all that we can to be willing to love, and at times that means gives, giving up likes, maybe music or decor or other things. But you know what, you're awesome. Thank you for your service, senior adults. We are blessed to have you work in the children's department. You usher, you meet at the doors, you work in the meeting the, uh, the need ministry, uh, God's threads, you teach our Sunday school classes. Thank you so much for all that you do. We need you. Alex used a phrase once recently in an access service that really spoke, has spoken to me and I really like it. It says, if the church is all about me, then the church will end with me. This is so true. Bob and I travel weekly when I can go with him, but he weekly is in different churches on our district. And this is a true blessing to us. We have a lot of wonderful churches. We're in churches of all sizes. But you know one of the saddest things to us is when we go into a church of about 10 to 20 people in attendance, and sometimes there have even been seven or eight people in attendance, and you go in and you look around, we look around, and we're the youngest people there. There are no children, there are no youth, there are no middle-aged adults, we are the youngest. And that you think somewhere along the way, that church, in that church, intergenerational ministry was lost. Only when we are intentional to live out our faith together will we become one as God intends us to be and will be an intergenerational church. So here's, what, here, here's the challenge today. The scripture tells us that young people need to lead the way. The scripture tells us that we need to be family, that we need to love each other, that we need to treat each other as we would our mother, our father, our brother, our sister, our son, our daughter. Um, but, but today we are called and we as a church value the fact that God calls us to be family. God calls us to share his kingdom together. Young, old, experienced, inexperienced, all of us come together to become one, to worship and serve God. And so a few things I want you to do, a few takeaways from this. Number one, I want you to get to know each other. For those of you that are older and for those of you that are younger, for those of you that are middle-aged, get to know the people around you. Everyone take a quick look around. Look around. That way you can see who's sleeping. <laughs> it's God's will that we would be one. And so we have to know each other. So get to know each other. Number two, give everything that God has given you, everything you have, your experience, your, your talents, your abilities, your personality, everything you have, give it to love and to build each other up. And number three, learn from each other. I believe our young people are great, talented young people. Let's learn from them. Let's let them lead. But I believe our older people, 
have great, great wisdom and great experience. And so learn from each other. I believe God's will is that when we come together, we come together young, we come together old, we worship as one. And so if we're going to be the church that God calls us to be, we have to be one. Father, I thank you for my mother today. I thank you for all of the people that are here today that, that, that have a lot of experience in life. I thank you for our, the, the people that have led the church for so long. I thank you, Lord, for our young people, for, for, for the people, that, for our kids, for our youth, um, for, for our young adults, for the parents in the church. I, I thank you for each generation that's represented here today. And Lord, I believe that you call us to worship you together. And so in our church, the whole family matters. Every single one of us is a part of your kingdom and a part of this church and every single person, regardless of, of who they are or how old they are, is vital to this church. And so Lord, I pray that you would draw us to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to model your love for us in the way that we love and respect and learn from each other. And Lord, we give everything we have back to worship you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you. Amen.